everyone, and welcome to this week's episode of In Medias Mess, where two pop culture nerds try to make sense of the messy world of mass media. I'm Alanis. And I'm Clea. And we're glad to have you along. You guys, February is almost over, but I'm sure this entire month you've probably been flooded with Valentine's specials, Netflix releases, and all the societal expectations for gender, romance, and sexuality that come along with it. Right. So keeping in theme with the love month and all of that nonsense, we figured it was time for us to talk about relationships in media, specifically our relationship to them. Buckle up because this is going to be a very opinionated episode. This is so funny because last week we just said that we're not the best people to talk about relationships in media. Pretty much, but we are incredibly opinionated about them. Yeah, that is true. And it's not because we hate everything that has to do with relationships in media and don't watch or enjoy any. I mean, that's unavoidable. Especially in mainstream media. Yeah, mainstream media is in love with love. Like, you'd think they're a Libra, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) But yeah, I think we're very opinionated about how we see these things because we don't necessarily willingly adhere to the societal expectations that they reflect sometimes. Or just don't like what those expectations say to be honest. But I think what's interesting about relationships in media, like romantic relationships, is that they're so ingrained in our watching experience. Like even as kids, when you think about your childhood or your like tween year favorites, you know, you can think of couples and ships that you remember. I've just always found it really interesting that the idea of love and romance is so drilled into the media that you consume. Yeah, and I think it really does build your initial notions about love and relationships. Right. I definitely think media influences what you learn about love and relationships when you're younger. When you see maybe a relationship unfold in media and you feel interested in that story, you do form initial, emphasis on initial, opinions. Right. But honestly, I don't, necessarily think that I shipped anything from my like from my childhood media faves oh okay unless they were specifically like going towards the romance angle no yeah I mean like you wouldn't ship anyone from the backyard again like (laughs) you know what I mean like those aren't somewhere along the lines of like impossible but okay okay. got it (laughs) little Einstein's here dude (laughs) But that's true because, you know, you're a kid and you don't really think about love in the way of romance unless that's something that is introduced to you by your environment and, again, the media that you watch. I think that that really is sort of indicative of how people view relationships in media. Like, when you're a kid, you don't really think about it, you know, unless it was overt. Like, unless, you know, they were going down the romance angle and then it was part of the story. So, obviously, you have to think about it. But... I think the fascination, Mm. or at least on an individual level, like the fascination with ships and relationships and romance and all of that stuff comes at a much later age and sort of changes as you grow up. My thoughts about media relationships from when I was like 13 are very different from now. It's a constantly evolving thing. And that's a good thing. Thank God our views change and mature as human beings because I would not want 14-year-old Alanis 
dictating what I should think about life and love. Right, yeah, no. Girl, you know nothing. The day I realized that I was old, old was when I was watching The Little Mermaid and I found myself siding with King Triton. <laughs> like, when... <laughs> Like when Ariel was like, I'm 16, I'm not a child anymore. I'm like, yes, you are. Sit your ass down. Oh my God, that's so true. I have not watched Little Mermaid in a minute. But honestly, same. This is really how you know that our youth has come and gone. Thank God, though, that we're past being a teenager. But yeah, even though views about love change as you grow up, Media doesn't necessarily keep up with that change. It doesn't evolve as fast relative to how fast we grow up. Right. And so there exists some of these time-honored tropes that you either love them or hate them, really. I realized also a lot of people have a lot of strong opinions about tropes. Mm -hmm. But I don't think we can talk about tropes without talking about love triangles because that is just a staple. Anywhere in the world, it doesn't matter where you are. It's for every age group. It's for every possible combination of genders and sexualities. It's for pretty much every piece of media. Yeah. Here's my gripe about love triangles, which I'm sure is shared by many, many people out there. I feel like the setup in itself is flawed. Right. They call it a love triangle, but it's more of a love V. Yeah. Like, it doesn't really work because to be a triangle, you need at least one person who likes both of the other characters. So, kulang ng line, you guys. Like, the concept is flawed. Let's be very clear. A love triangle does not make sense unless it's queer. It's an angle, as in singular, not triangle, as in tatlo. Nako talaga. Bakit pa tayo nag-aral ng geometry kung hindi din naman natin inintindi? <laughs> anyway. I have a lot of strong opinions on this and I feel like a lot of my strong opinions are hinged on Meteor Garden. <laughs> it's a show that I watched like when it came out because I was growing up with three sisters who were teenagers at the time. So it was a very big thing in my household. Mm-hmm. Obviously, you don't think too much about it as a kid. But then I remember giving it a rewatch and then just like, All of the gears were kind of turning in my head and I was just like, what in the world is going on with this love triangle situation? Like, I have a lot of thoughts and opinions, but I actually want to know first, what do you think about like the quote-unquote second lead syndrome? Ugh, that's another thing I don't like about love triangles. But okay, let's fully illustrate this with Meteor Garden also because... Sinubaybayan ko rin yan. Um, so, syempre, si Lee yung gusto ko kasi mas guwapo siya. <laughs> okay. To me, it wasn't about, oh, kasi mabait siya or whatever. It was just, you know, whoever was like... Cuter. Yeah, whoever was cuter to me, that's who I'll root for. And I do have the tendency to root for the underdog, even in things like this. But really, I didn't think about it all that much as a kid. Right. I was just, okay, ang pangit ng buhok ni Daming sa sorry, di kita bet. But as I grew up, I realized pretty quickly that second leads are just as frustrating as the toxic first male lead trope. Because, let's be honest, generally, the second leads aren't the most ideal choice for a significant other either. Right, yeah. If the choice is between the can't handle the pressures of masculinity, angsty, has unchecked anger issues, and probably daddy issues male lead versus the brooding pining often clingy or mopey second lead 
both of them kind of treat the main female lead as an object. Right, yeah. Neither of them are fun. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's, it's always interesting to me how a lot of people kind of like couldn't quote fall for the second leads because they're, you know, they're the underdogs and they're the, they're sort of characterized as the martyrs, if you will, in the triangle, angle, whatever we want to call it. So typically in like a love triangle setup, your two options are not that great anyway. But what frustrates me about second leads is that they're usually the capital N, capital G nice guys. Yeah. They're the weird manipulative sad boys. And it's just like, it's not a good look. No, that's so true. When I found out about the term nice guy, it just clicked. I was like, oh my God. Because before I even knew about it, I was wondering why I was feeling uncomfy with all of these typical love triangle leads, main or second. And like, not gonna lie, seeing these behaviors in real life and feeling extra uncomfy, Mm. um, especially after I found out about nice guys, the sad soft boys in media started putting me off even more. Because outside of these tropes that can be sometimes unrealistic, in our own personal lives, nice guys are the people we encounter a lot. Right, yeah. And can be incredibly dangerous, especially with all of the societal pressures about gender and politeness and courtesy and all of that. And, you know, personally, it took a few unpleasant experiences until I figured out how to navigate that. And once I did, I just could not stand seeing it anymore. Especially because, you know, the characters in a lot of the media we see, they barely show any understanding of that. Yeah, it's always really annoying because, like, their characterization is very, like, manipulative sad boy, right? But it's so rarely translated to the audience that they're being horrible people because then they're just like oh they're the martyr they're letting go so that they can be happy or whatever that shit they put is and it's just like whatever uh, no and I mean they shouldn't confess their feelings or whatever like if you want to be understood man just say it right and like Honestly, that opens up a whole nother conversation about like how confessing, quote unquote, it's just like, it's just talking. You guys just make your feelings known. It's not hard. Just communicate. Oh, Also, okay, let's talk about the confession thing as the main conflict for the second lead. Because if the writers actually let the second lead say that they like the main lead, and, you know, let them say it pretty early on. Mm-hmm. That means because the person who is on the receiving end of the affection would actually have to choose. Yeah. Like, the person would have to think about, debate about even, which of the two people who like them they would actually pursue. And in love triangles, you don't actually have to think about it. There's a clear answer, yeah. There is a clear choice. You don't get confused about who the writers want this person to end up with the funny thing is like within the fan space like as audience members you're allowed to debate about who is better for this person x or y but when you look at the media itself there is no debate yeah like you can see it clear as day there will be a choice and that choice will be 
this person. As in everything, writing, dialogue, pati yung mga outfits nila, most likely pareho yung palette. Right, ganun. yung coordination. <laughs> Wala talaga. Alam mo na eh. Bakit pa tayo nagkukunwari, di ba? Which is really funny because love triangles, I think, are the most prevalent trope. The most prevalent relationship trope in media. And there's nothing particularly new about it. Yeah. Like, it follows the exact same formula. And that's why I don't quite understand why everyone loves to use it, you know? And we've talked about formulas before. We're not inherently against it. But I think with love triangles, because it's so prevalent, it just keeps getting less and less interesting. Also because it falls into the same traps. And while tama naman na dapat may resolution, the way that process is dragged out is often so ridiculous. Ayun na nga, bakit pa tayo And dragging it out when we know the end anyway And then they try to conclude that hastily. They go back and forth, going around in circles, a la the vampire diaries. And at some point, it just doesn't make sense anymore. And this is not to say that we've never consumed media with love triangles that we enjoyed. Like, we're just saying, like, on a general sense, medyo suya na kami, guys. Yeah, legit. For me, if the love triangle is the main premise, or like the main conflict, I tend to stay away. Just because I don't care about it. No, yeah, same. Ayoko na. Sa inyo na yan. <laughs> okay na ako. So, yeah. I feel like love triangles like used sparingly and used as like peripheral conflicts work a lot better than having a show essentially built around the concept of a love triangle. Yeah. It just gets kind of exhausting. And sometimes when I'm watching something and I'm enjoying it, I'm like, oh, this is fun. And then I see a love triangle forming. I'm like, okay, I'm not touching this ever again. <laughs> no, for sure that happens to me too. I remember starting a series recently, which shall not be named due to safety reasons. Like, I don't, I don't want the fans mad at me. But basically, it was pretty clear from like episode two that the show's essential premise was that this protagonist was going to be choosing between two options. And it was just, yeah, no. Like, not to shame anyone who's into that, but really at this point, I just find them so bland, you know? If you've seen one, you've seen it all. Yeah, exactly. I haven't seen anything Love triangle that's worth checking out. I think the last Love Triangle that I was semi-satisfied with the resolution was in Sense8, But even then, that really was not the main conflict of the show. So even if it wasn't resolved how I wanted, it was a small thing in the grand scheme of the show. It wouldn't have changed anything for me. But anyway, again, if that's your thing, then go ahead. We're not saying you shouldn't enjoy it. Yeah, I mean, at least on a marketing level, there's a reason why it works, you know? And it's just people still are interested and people still care. And honestly, to you know, all of the old executives or whatever, It's tried and tested. So why would they try to change it? If you take out the media context, like if you don't look at the media text as a fandom experience, it's great. The the debates and the like dialogues about like who is better for this person and all of that stuff. Like that's fun. As long as you don't get too into fan wars. Yeah, the team things are generally fun to discuss. And again, these things are constantly popping up because it's a tried and tested way to engage an audience. And it does, I think, rely on the audience's inclination to shipping. Right, yeah. It's become such a big and common part of media consumption. When we talk about shipping in the fandom sense, 
I feel like there's such a heavy like stigma around the concept. Right, People right. have strong opinions on like the concept of shipping, not necessarily even the ships. And for me, it's just I've never seen shipping as like an inherently good or inherently bad thing. Mm-hmm. I've always thought of it as neutral ground because I feel like when people think of shipping, they think of like the extremes. Right. You know, like the the extreme side of shipping that can get very out of control and like that does not respect boundaries. But in reality, I mean, in its most basic sense, it's just thinking that two people would work well romantically and like wanting to see them become a couple. Mm-hmm. And here's the thing, like people like to wash their hands of like shipping because they feel all high and mighty when they do. And I'm like, listen... If you've ever seen, like, two attractive people and thought, oh, they look good together. Yeah. Or, like, yung kabarkada mo at saka yung crush niya, gusto mong maging sila, that's shipping, you guys. Like, yeah. don't Pontius pilot this shit. You've done it before. That's so true. I do think there's quite a bit to unpack within fandom shipping specifically, of course. Yeah. There are plenty of layers to that when you're interacting with text and what that means for your notions and perspectives. But... I also do think that for a lot of people also, and to those maybe not heavily involved or active in fandom spaces, shipping just kind of happens. It's a very natural thing. So I do think that there are some parts of shipping that can get damaging and can get toxic, both within fandom spaces and in real life with your friends and family. Yeah. But in its simplest sense, I again, like you said, it's not inherently bad or good. It's just a thing that is. It's usually just a thought, you know? It's just like, yeah. oh, they look good together. And then that's it. And I feel like mainstream media will never stop using that. Mm. Because for these stories about love and relationships to work, the audience has to be fully invested into the relationship. Right, yeah. Although I do want to throw the question out there of whether or not shipping is gendered Mm. um that's something that i question i do not have a clear answer to that but i genuinely would like to know what other people's thoughts are on it because you know i don't know yeah same part of me thinks that it makes a little bit of sense that the more like romantic love type content is more marketed towards women and girls so it does make sense if like shipping is more of like female territory but I'm pulling those numbers out of my ass. Like, I have no idea if that's real or not. Yeah, yeah. My opinions are hinged on anecdotes. Yeah, same. I feel like I thought about it or was exposed to it much earlier than compared to my younger brother now. Mm. Our siblings were actually talking about ships once. So I literally asked him if he took notice of these things. And he's like, no, I don't really think about it. And he's like 11, 12. And at 11, 12, I already shipped people from Power Rangers Ninja Storm. Like, I was watching (laughs) fan videos on YouTube about Hannah Montana. Like, like, I'm already aware of these things and he's not. So that's something that I question and I wonder about, but I have no academic research for that. And if anyone has resources, I would love to read it, but I'm not going to write it. Right. It's more of those things that you kind of think about. We don't have the answer for that, but it's not a stretch to think that that's possible. Right. But, you know, I mean, this entire episode is coming from the perspective of, like, two cis females. So that's the experience that you're going to get with this, you know? Yeah. But whether or not shipping is gendered, it's there. And OTPs are still being discussed in every kind of media 
it can get pretty intense within fan communities, but the absolutism of the term one true pairing itself kind of asks for it. When you're so heavily invested in characters and their relationship within a story, you really do care about what happens to them. That's the magic of storytelling. But as we have previously discussed in this podcast, sometimes what happens to your characters isn't what you wanted. And sometimes the story pursues relationships that you don't prefer, to say the least. And so there's always fan fiction. When the media doesn't consider things you wanted as canon, fan fiction is your best friend. Right. Fan-produced work is such a trip. It's so fun to like dive into. And it's it gets such a bad rap, but honestly, the world of like fan media is so broad and so incredibly interesting. There's some really good stuff on there. I never understood why fan fiction is still so contentious. You would think in 2021, we would have been past that, but apparently not. There are still quite a few people who like to think that fan fiction isn't a valid form of literature. We're not one of those people. I find fan fiction incredible because it's just people being creative and people sharing what they've done. Yeah, and you know, it's one of the purest forms of creating because everyone just does it for free and it's just for fun. And it also builds so much more engagement with the media, you know, which as a creator is a good thing. That means people care enough about the work that they are thinking about it and are like being inspired by it. It doesn't take away from the canon, but maybe even entrenches your audience even more into the material. There's so much cool stuff floating around the internet that's fan produced. But I think fan fiction often goes beyond the material, especially when what you get from the canon is... Is not what you want. Yeah, not what you want or is not enough, you know? Especially when you're a part of marginalized communities and you don't see yourself represented. We see it in things like fan casts, fiction expansion, and slash fiction. Right, the slash community. You know, all of these can be responses to that. It's a bit like claiming a part of that space that you've kind of been denied access to. So fun story. I took a class in college called Pornography and Electronic Media. That's already hilarious as it sounds, even more if you know who I am as a person. I wrote a paper for that class, and it is the lone paper I have ever presented in a conference. Oh yeah, I remember that. And it was about the homosexualization of straight characters in fanfiction. I loved writing this paper. I talked to so many interesting creators and people, and one of the biggest takeaways from that was that the main reason why um, slash fiction is like such a big thing, aside from the fact that it's, you know, creative exercise, is that these people are really just sort of looking for representation. Mm-hmm. They were kind of like essentially putting together what they wished they saw on screen. A lot of that relies on taking sort of subtext from the canon and then just spinning it in a way that makes sense. If you've ever read like fanfic of non-canon ships, There are actually some really great ones where you're like, huh, that really could have worked, you know? Yeah, and I think that's what's great about fanfiction and makes these reimaginings so compelling. It operates within the same universe, so it makes you think about the source material more. Right, yeah. And I think we've mentioned this before, that when it comes to queer narratives and media, 
it really used to rely so much on subtext. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It used to be all that you'd get. Thankfully, that's starting to change now. Mm-hmm. But reinterpreting what's left between the lines is so important. For a lot of mainstream texts, like mainstream media texts, a lot of them were produced at a time essentially where queerness couldn't be overt. Yeah. So maybe this character could have been queer. It just was never talked about. And that's the stuff you explore in fan fiction. And it's pretty great. Yeah. And I like what you said that it really is just creative exercise. I mean, a lot of great writers start out from fan fiction. Right. I've literally bought a published book that I first read on fiction press. Um, it was more of an original story, but the point remains that it's not unheard of for people to publish work that used to be fan fiction. Right. And honestly, like coming from a writer's perspective, listen, world building is hard. That's so true. Character creation is hard. So if you just want to start writing narratives without having to think of like the universe and the characterization, fan fiction is a great place to start. Yeah. And the fear of starting is such a big and difficult thing to overcome. So to have kind of a base to go off of and just be able to explore that first and churn out and try out ideas with a community of people that will welcome that and give you feedback. That's a great and amazing thing. Sometimes you just need to be able to get that out of your system so you can keep working towards what you want your creative work to be. I once tried to write like a like a full fictional story and I think I got stuck on world building for like a month. Oh God, yeah. I tried that in grade school and that was when I stopped and rethought my childhood dreams of being a writer. I was like, I'm not doing this again. (laughs) I'll just read what other people write. So yeah, a moment of appreciation to all of the fan fiction writers and really anyone who does any sort of fan produced work. Thank you. Good job. Great job, you guys. Like you're doing great. And on behalf of literally everyone who's like ever hyper fixated on a piece of media, thank you for your service and all of the great content. So we've talked a lot about fan communities and shipping within those fan spaces. A lot of the time, media-related shipping happens in places where it's the audience engaging with each other. Like the people who are directly involved in the creation of that media usually are outside of those places. But usually it doesn't mean always because real people shipping is a thing that happens. And like we said, shipping in the most basic sense, yes, that happens in real life. Setups and blind dates exist. But when we talk real people shipping, it's when the public would ship personalities. We're talking actors, usually co-stars musicians, artists, YouTubers, YouTubers, anyone in the public eye essentially is fair game. Yeah. And like, I get that again, because it is a reflection of how we do things in our own circles. Mm -hmm. But also there are certain parts of it that's just a bit out of line, I would say. Yeah. I mean, the episode before this sort of like touches on the whole like real to real idea. Yeah. But like real person shipping has always been like a little bit of a gray area because it, it's a bit of a minefield. There are so many ways that you can step out of line. But at the same time, it's like I still don't class it as like a 
in an inherently bad thing. Right, right. I still think it's just a natural response to, you know, seeing two people you think might work together. Like, you're not a horrible person for shipping two real people. But I think that the main thing with real person shipping is that there just need to be clearer boundaries. Mm -hmm. Because, listen, fictional characters are fictional. And they're not necessarily owned by anyone you can sort of spin it and manipulate like the universe that they belong in in your head and like you can make it work it's cool real people are real people and their narratives are their actual lives you have to be very careful about how you approach it or at least how your shipping sort of like manifests so as not to like commodify the people (laughs) that you support yeah exactly that's also how i feel about it I think boundaries are important because while yes, entertainers and celebrities are public figures, that doesn't mean they're completely beholden to you. They're not government officials. You know, they're entertainers, but they're people also. When you start forgetting that and treating them as objects for your consumption, that's when we should really take a step back because there can be harmful effects to their lives. And you shouldn't play with people's lives like that. I can actually think of a YouTube ship that manifests this really clearly, like Dan and Phil. Um, So Dan Howell and Phil Lester, if you guys don't know, they were basically like YouTube royalty from the vlogging heyday of the early 2010s. They were great friends and they made a ton of content together. But the more people started watching them, the more they got shipped. And, you know, they rode along with it in the beginning and it was sort of like fun for everyone. But... Somewhere around 2012, shit got real bad real fast. And Dan, who was in the closet at the time, lashed out at like the entire thing. And that led to the both of them kind of distancing themselves and not working together as much for a good while. Probably to let the fans chill out a bit also. Yeah, but then that led to a lot of infighting within the fandom of people who think that shipping is bad and people who think that shipping is okay and it was a it was a mess of a time um obviously like everyone's doing better now thank god yes we're very happy that they're doing better we only want good things we only want good things the fans and the dan and phil are doing like a lot better they actually both like recently 2019 recent time is not real um (laughs) So they actually both like recently came out and I was very pleasantly surprised that very little was said about, oh, are they together? Are they like, you know, like the relationship part, which they both kind of said is like, we're not really going to talk about it. Like fans do respect that now. And that's great to see. It is great because that means that the fans grew up with them and matured with them. Yeah. And they listened. Yeah, they listened and realized that There are boundaries to be kept. And I think we've mentioned it before too, that with YouTubers, especially with vloggers, the fans do feel very connected to them because they share their lives with their fans. But again, even then, that doesn't mean that that warrants the YouTubers giving up their entire private lives for consumption, you know? Yeah. And for Dan and Phil to set those boundaries and say, okay, this part of my life... I do not feel the need to share with all of you. It's private. Yeah. I'm happy they were able to do that. And I'm glad that their fans do not feel entitled to know every single thing about their lives. 
that's really an excellent case of setting boundaries and fans being able to understand that. Right. Honestly, I think there's no one-size-fits-all set of boundaries for real personships because some people encourage it a little more than others. Some people get very uncomfortable very quickly. But for me, my only hard and fast rule, whether you're shipping celebrities or like people from your circle, <laughs> like the only rule really is if they say they're uncomfortable, you stop. Yeah. If you're noticing that they're not laughing about it anymore, just stop it. Like, it's good. We can pause, you know, take a step back. Yeah, there has to be consent. Like what you said, if they say or show that they're uncomfortable, it's time to stop. And I also think that sometimes the initiation should come from the personalities themselves also or the public figures Mm. themselves. Like, let's take YouTubers again, for example. If they say, okay, I'm going to read fan fiction. I'm going to look at fan art. Send it to me. Like, okay, they welcomed that. They consented to that. Yeah. But then if they didn't, you don't need to send that to them. (laughs) I have an anecdote in mind, but I'm just not going to say it. Maybe like don't send it to them out of the blue, you know? Don't tag them about your fantasies on Twitter. And like, especially if they're not personal accounts, because guys... The poor social media managers who have to wade through all of this, we don't get paid enough. Yeah. In the fandom sense, I feel like real person shipping is one of those things that you confine to the fandom space unless they actively seek it out. But you also have to be okay if the time comes after they seek it out that they say, okay, wait, I'm not okay with it anymore. That's also valid and should be respected also because people change. So yeah, really, that's all we want to promote. Boundaries are healthy, they should be set and communicated and respected. I think it's a rule for all relationships anyway. If you're not involved in it, don't involve yourself in it. Absolutely. And I don't know if you can hear it from our voices, but we are definitely thinking of instances where we had to reinforce the boundaries we value in our lives But that is not the point of this podcast. Suffice to say that this is advice in terms of fan spaces and also in real life, you guys. It's really just like, that's really just it. But okay, going back, real person shipping sometimes happens because, for example, a show or a movie, when you see promo or press junkets or even their social media, the cast or the people involved play up their dynamics Mm -hmm. and all of that. Sometimes it really is marketed that way. Love themes. Yeah. Yeah, going back to love themes. And it's fun. But I also think that these people not being in a romantic relationship doesn't necessarily mean that that dynamic is automatically fake. For me personally, the way that people kind of jump to the conclusion that they're together when they have a good dynamic is so strange problematic because it's like bakit di ba pwedeng friends <laughs> no yeah exactly for me and the Lannis, it's been like one of our biggest frustrations with media in that it feels like for a lot of media texts the concept of platonic friendships just doesn't exist or there's a rejection of the idea of it even ah uh, yeah I can't count how many things I've watched that are like a man and a woman can't be friends and I'm like Sure, Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> Literally same. What I hate is the phrase, 
just friends. That's so true. The insinuation that a platonic friendship means less than a romantic relationship is something that like just haunts me every single day. I hate it so much. If you did the paper on like fan fiction, I made like a speech about this probably like twice in my life. <laughs> one in high school and one in university. Because I hate it so much. Like I don't appreciate when friendship is devalued for some reason. Yeah. Doesn't make sense to me. It's still companionship and also still love. Honestly, there are some great friendship stories that exist in media. Like there are some lovely, lovely, lovely friendship stories. But all too often, a romance story is built on the devaluation of a friendship. Mm-hmm. One thing I've always hated also is that in love triangles, the second lead is almost always a best friend in some capacity. Yeah. And like, okay, listen, statistically speaking, masyadong impossible na ganyan karaming best friend ang nafofall sa best friends nila. Like, masyado yan marami. Media paints it so much that like, Romance feels like a necessary next step to a friendship when honestly it's not. And I am the biggest cheerleader of the friends to lovers trope. Like, I love friends to lovers. But not every friendship needs to go to lovers territory. Yeah, and it really feels like media is so allergic to that concept sometimes. And honestly, for me, I tend to gravitate towards stories that showcase strong dynamics across every type of relationship that the characters have. It's the culmination of all of these things that doesn't just make a show great and full, but honestly makes a life great and full. So, you know, I'd like more of that in the stuff that I consume. And by the way, a story doesn't need a sweeping, angsty, all-consuming, romantic aspect for it to be great. That's also something I feel strongly about because... Sometimes the protagonist is better off without the romance. Exactly. It's frustrating because I feel like part of it also sends a message that like romance is like a need, something that you should be actively looking for. And like sometimes people don't want it and that's okay too, you know? Yeah. And there are so many characters in media that I feel like didn't really want a relationship if we were really to stick to their core. I'm looking at you, Veronica Mars. I see you. Quick shout out to Joe March of Little Women. 100%. (laughs) I'm still mad. I'm still so mad. But I digress. Yeah, that's for a different day. But see, there are Joe Marches of the world. And... Veronica Marses of the world. Yeah. If we were to sort of summarize this whole idea of like friendships and romance, it's really just that like friendships are not lesser relationships. Yeah. Whether it's real personships or like media ships, good dynamics don't always have to end in relationships. It's okay. You can have really, really great friendship dynamics and have them be just friends. Like literally nothing else and you know it's not just friends because you couldn't be anything else it's just that the friends period yeah oh death to the just friends i hope it dies the same way that friend zone died <laughs> like thank god that's gone thank god friend zone died honestly we don't miss you but yeah this comes up every valentine season because mm-hmm. we become hyper aware of societal expectations since we're celebrating a weird capitalist holiday <laughs> But I do think it's good to be reminded still 
to value the good relationships we have in our lives. Friends, family, significant others, your pets, you know, all of them. All of them are valuable in the world. Right. But this is also to say, you're totally valid in wanting or not wanting a romantic relationship. Yeah. Like, you know, there are people in this world who are totally cool with being single. And there are people in this world who like being in relationships. And both of them are valid types of people. It's just weird to me that sometimes media makes us feel like it should be one or the other. And honestly, whether or not you're someone who's like happy to be single or not happy to be single, but either way you like watching romance on your media or like like reading romance in your media, do you? Have fun! Exactly! And with the media that we watch, it's not always a what you see is what you get thing. You know, it's like relationships, romance, friendships, all of this. It's a very like broad spectrum and it's a very complicated realm. And there are just so many versions and so many degrees to it. Wherever you choose to put yourself in, whatever you do enjoy, like just go ahead and have fun doing it. As long as you're respectful of boundaries and of consent. And you're not harming anyone and you're just letting people live healthy, love-filled lives. Then we're totally cool. And as February comes to an end, I hope that we continue to celebrate the wonderful, healthy, loving relationships in our lives and perhaps keep fighting for a world where everyone can freely love also. And on that note, thank you for spending time with us. We expressed a lot of strong opinions today. We did. I'm surprised we got through it without cursing too much. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. And we also send our love to you, our friends and family listening and supporting us. We love and appreciate you all. We do, we do. It's great. (laughs) And we will talk to you guys next time. Bye. Bye, everyone. 